let's be real. Lawsuits are no fun, but with Paulson and Nace, at least they are a little easier. With two DC-born partners, Paulson and Nace will fight for you the way only a Washingtonian could. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, and other complex injury cases involving negligence. So if you have been hurt or lost a loved one because of someone else's mistake or negligence, call Paulson and Nace for a no-obligation consultation. Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call 202-463-1999. It's one of the saddest stories of the year and maybe the most infuriating. A flood at a DC doggy daycare last month led to the deaths of 10 dogs. Mark Seagraves from Channel 4 has been all over the story, which turns out to say a lot about the dysfunctional state of the city's 911 call center, among other city agencies. Mark talked about the Bowser administration's troubling reaction to the news and what the fallout is likely to be. It's Thursday, September 7th. I'm Michael Schaefer, and here's what DC is talking about. Hey, Mark, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me back, Michael. I appreciate it. Um, So you have been all over the story, and it's a a really sad story. So let's go back to the beginning, because, you know, it was August, people were away. Tell us what happened to District Dogs. So on that day, you know, we had a huge, huge flood, a huge storm that was forecast. It didn't sneak up on anybody. And so we had this torrential downpour that, that, that hit the city that afternoon. And because it was forecast and because city officials, first responders know that that section of Rhode Island Avenue, the 600 block of Rhode Island Avenue that goes under the underpass for the, the metro trains that go above, Engine 12, uh, the local fire station there, self-deployed in advance of the flood because they knew drivers would get stuck at some point and they would need to be there. And so they were on scene. So, so just so I understand it, this doggy daycare, District Dogs, was located on this sort of industrial strip of Rhode Island Avenue Northeast. It's probably a kind of place where you want to look, where you know neighbors aren't going to complain about parking dogs and stuff that is prone to flooding. And sure enough. That's right. That's exactly right. Well, I will say that the majority of us have known for a year that that area is prone to flooding because district dogs flooded a year ago. Almost the exact same thing, not as catastrophic, but a flood that just washed out the business and first responders had to, to, to respond. Nobody was injured and no dogs were injured a year ago, but everybody knew that the potential for catastrophic flooding uh, was real in that location as, as, as recently as a year ago. So it's August. It starts raining. The local fire uh, engine has self-deployed. What happens inside the doggy daycare? So inside the doggy daycare, they have about 30 dogs who are there uh, as they normally would be uh, and about seven employees. When um, the rain starts building up, or the people who own the building have de- had deployed these red barriers that were about two and a half feet high, uh, that looked like kind of uh, movable jersey walls, and they lined the sidewalk there between the street and the doggy daycare entrance, and they were there to keep the water back. And in a 
normal flood, it would suffice to keep several inches of rising water that came over the curb from seeping into the building and getting in there. But on this day, the water rose just four or five feet high up against the plate glass windows. The water started seeping in. And when the water started seeping in, the employees started to move the dogs from that front part of the building closest to where the water was coming in to the back of the building, further away from the water where it's a little bit, the elevation in the building is a little higher. And that's what they started doing. Tragically, what we also know is that they started putting some of those dogs in cages. They start moving them back. At the same time, these employees are texting with other employees and managers on a group chat saying, hey, water's coming in. Finally, the OUC director, Heather McGaffin, and Chief Donnelly of the fire department have a press conference with reporters, and they release the transcripts of the 911 calls. Before they release the transcripts, Heather McGaffin reads from a written statement where she summarizes the transcripts. And, you know, I'm not going to say she lied to us, but she was disingenuous at best and deceiving at worst because her summary of the call was, well, the first call talked about water damage, water leak. Well, when we read the transcript, we see the woman said the walls are collapsing. She could not have been more crystal clear that people's lives were in jeopardy. But nonetheless, the city administrator told us that's not what she said. And then Heather McGaffin came out and tried to dance around that. And it is par for the course of how OUC deals with their mistakes. They, it is beyond me why this one agency is so reluctant to admit when, that they've ever made a mistake. Have they released the audio tapes of those calls? No. And, and 911 has a policy of not releasing 911 calls. They will release them to the people who made the calls. That's kind of how they get around it. The woman who made the 911 call, that first call, she has put in a freedom of information request to get it so that she can listen, just to satisfy her own guilt. She wants to hear what she said for herself. And as of this recording, they have still not even released it to her. But we do have the printout of the transcript, which tells us all we need to know, that the callers were crystal clear. And when I asked if anybody's being held accountable, if anybody's been disciplined, I'm told that's a personnel matter that we don't discuss, which is absolute crap, because they could certainly tell us without naming somebody, violating somebody's privacy. And it's just incredibly frustrating for reporters, for the public, for public safety advocates, and particularly these 10 families. It's time to get dressed up, DC. So Others Might Eat is having its Young Professionals Network Spring Soiree that's to help raise funds for homelessness in DC. The gala is on the evening of May 17th at the National Museum of Women in the Arts. There will be live music from DJ Heat from the Washington Wizards, photo booths, food, and even a special appearance by a former actor from Pretty Little Liars. Wow. There will also be a canned food drive, so be sure to bring a few cans to support Sum's Food Pantry. Grab tickets before they're gone at sum.org slash spring soiree. That's S-O-M-E dot O-R-G slash spring soiree. See you there.
So let me ask you sort of big picture question. You know, I have a dog. I don't know if you do, but put the dog in daycare sometimes. Should we as district residents, as people who use doggy daycares, be confident in these centers based on licensing alone? Should we do our own investigating and asking them about their emergency plans? How good is the licensing? Yeah, I would have to say no, I would not be confident. If I had a dog in a daycare center or a pet in a daycare center anywhere in America, I don't know what goes on in other districts, certainly in Washington, D.C., I would ask a lot of questions. I would want to know what is your protocol? What is your game plan for all these different emergencies that could, how would you evacuate if you had to evacuate? Under what circumstances are my dogs, my pets going to be put into a cage even though I don't want them to? Um, And I got to say, if I were a council member or the mayor right now, I would have already presented legislation regulating this industry. I'd say we're never going to have this, another district dog's fatality tragedy like we've had again we're going to regulate these like they are daycare centers for children we're going to have inspections we're going to require protocols for evacuations and emergencies and and we're going to go in and take a look at all these facilities and so far nobody no council member has done that in politics it's hard to go wrong by uh by uh protecting animals i know but look because a lot of people have said you know why why is the press so jacked up about this, not to diminish the lives of dogs. We're living in a city where humans, children are murdered every day, shot every day. There's gun violence is out of control in the city, and yet we're focusing on this. And there's two answers to that question. One, dogs are helpless. I know a lot of children and other victims are helpless too, but we have a special relationship with pets and how vulnerable they are. And it touches our heart in, in, in a way. We're getting used to hearing about people being shot and killed, unfortunately. And so a lot of people want to know, you know, why are we so driven by this? And it's because of all these things, all these threads that is exposed that aren't being addressed. The other thing that council could address in this is zoning and building requirements. That you know, introduce legislation. We're not going to allow somebody to build something in a zone that we know is prone to flooding like this. You know, you look. There's a couple other places like Nanny Helen Burroughs that floods like this. But there's a couple of things that council could do as far as legislating uh, going forward that might prevent things like this from happening. So the mayor has said that she's going to remove the certificate of occupancy from that uh, establishments in that strip. But that's not like a systemic fix. That's just a hey, we're going to. That's right. So, and really that's much ado about nothing because the owners have already taken down their signs and said they're never coming back. So the fact that they would revoke district dog certificate of occupancy is meaningless. What is meaningful is will they restrict occupancy of that facility, of that location going forward? And I'm told that they are looking at the law. This is what I've reported recently is that district officials are looking at zoning regulations to see if there's a way that they can legally restrict any other businesses or the types of businesses that would go into that location that might have large numbers of people there. So they're thinking of trying to allow them to have it as a storage facility or or who knows what. Because from what you said, if it had been, you know, like a dentist office or electronic store, it also could have been catastrophic. It it could have been. I mean, even if one person would have gotten trapped in there when those walls collapse, I can't imagine any business will want to locate in there if they do any kind of due diligence on the history of that location. So it it remains to be seen what, if anything, will ever go back in there. But, you know, the bigger questions are, you know, the the issues with 911, the issues with DC fire on the scene, you know, not being in tune with what's going on, you know, right across the street from them, the building code uh, regulations, all of this 
are things that will have to be looked at as as we go forward after this. And then the owners, we don't know if they're going to sue district dogs. We know that they are digging deep into district dogs history that I get emails from them regularly about, oh, did you see that? I mean, and district dogs is trying to franchise and they're looking now to get a zoning exemption for a new location up in Northwest at Georgia Avenue at the Walter Reed development up there. And so this is a story that is going to linger on. These families will never get their dogs back. They'll never be satisfied with the response that they got before, during, or after this tragedy. The most recent turn of events is that the mayor, Muriel Bowser, has met with the owners who have lost their dogs in this flood. What did the, the dog owners tell you about the meeting? You know, they were very gracious after the meeting, given you know their level of anger and frustration and grief and the press, you know, two weeks of nonstop everyday stories trickling out about this and all the things that went wrong. They were very gracious about the mayor sitting with them, giving them all the time. The meeting went more than an hour, which is a long time to meet with the mayor. And so they said that she listened to them. They were a little disappointed that she didn't take as seriously as they would have liked their concerns about the 911 call center and some problems with the 911 call center. They have concerns about what will go into that building. They don't want anything else to be allowed to go into that building. They convey that to her. They want a panel to be set up to look at the 911 call center. So I think they came away satisfied, more satisfied than not. I think, you know, given what they could have come out and said, again, I thought they were quite gracious about their meeting with the mayor. What comes next in this story? Is there anything scheduled, anything you expect on the calendar? So I think the mayor hopes nothing comes next. Again, they miss, you know, this is a textbook example of how not to handle public relations, both for the mayor and the city and for District Dog. You know, he sent flowers to each family a- after the, the, the deaths of their dogs. And that just enraged them even more. You know, they're like, they sent us these flowers, which is a constant reminder that our dog is dead. He should have made a donation. To, anything would have been better, they thought. So I think both sides just hope that we don't hear about it ever again. But I think the next step will be if we find out what goes back into that location. If another business decides to open up there or if the city just says, we're not going to allow anything to go in there, the building's just going to have to use that as a storage facility or we'll put in water drainage systems in there and and co-opt it that way. And then if any council members do present legislation or the city itself just comes up with regulations to have closer oversight over doggy daycare centers and, and whatnot, that could happen. But I know that the mayor is hoping that this is behind her, but it's not. It'll certainly come up during election time. If she chooses to run again in a few years, this is a story that will stick around for a while in one way or another. Mark Seagraves, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Michael, thanks for having me as always. I I really appreciate it. Before you go, here is some quick news. A class in Montgomery County is required to wear masks for over a week after at least three people tested positive for COVID-19. Normally, masks are optional at the school, but it requires them for those recovering from COVID-19 or in the case of an outbreak like this one. Also, as of this week, opioid overdose medication is available over-the-counter across the DMV. Narcan, it's a nasal spray that's easy to use and extremely safe, even if the unresponsive person hasn't actually overdosed. 
Some harm reduction advocates recommend that everyone who can afford Narcan should have it on them in case of emergency. And finally, in Montgomery County, again, the school district and police are conducting independent investigations into a brawl last week after a high school football game. Students from Walter Johnson and Bethesda Chevy Chase High Schools also got into a fight in 2021, also after a game. And that is all for today here on CityCast DC. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye. Bye.